0: Section 12 of Volume 1d of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1d, Section 12, Chapter 39, Part 6. elizabeth besides these remonstrances sent by throgmorton some articles of accommodation which he was to propose to both parties as expedients for the settlement of public affairs and though these articles contained some important restraints on the sovereign power they were in the main calculated for mary's advantage and were sufficiently indulgent to her the associated lords who determined to proceed with greater severity were apprehensive of elizabeth's partiality and being sensible that mary would take courage from the protection of that powerful princess they thought proper after several affected delays to refuse the english ambassador all access to her there were four different schemes proposed in scotland for the treatment of the captive queen One, that she should be restored to her authority under very strict limitations. The second, that she should be obliged to resign her crown to the prince, be banished the kingdom, and be confined either to France or England, with assurances from the sovereign in whose dominions she should reside, that she should make no attempts to the disturbance of the established government." the third that she should be publicly tried for her crimes of which her enemies pretended to have undoubted proof and be sentenced to perpetual imprisonment the fourth was still more severe and required that after her trial and condemnation capital punishment should be inflicted upon her throgmorton supported the mildest proposal But though he promised his mistress's guarantee for the performance of articles, threatened the ruling party with immediate vengeance in case of refusal, and warned them not to draw on themselves by their violence the public reproach which now lay upon their queen, he found that, excepting Secretary Lidington, he had not the good fortune to convince any of the leaders all counsels seemed to tend towards the more severe expedients and the preachers in particular drawing their examples from the rigorous maxims of the old testament which can only be warranted by particular revelations inflamed the minds of the people against their unhappy sovereign there were several pretenders to the regency of the young prince after the intended deposition of mary The Earl of Lennox claimed that authority as grandfather to the Prince. The Duke of Châtelrault, who was absent in France, had pretensions as next heir to the Crown, but the greatest number of the associated lords inclined to the Earl of Murray, in whose capacity they had entire trust, and who possessed the confidence of the preachers and more zealous reformers. All measures being therefore concerted, three instruments were sent to mary by the hands of lord lindsay and sir robert melville by one of which she was to resign the crown in favour of her son by another to appoint murray regent by the third to name a council which should administer the government till his arrival in scotland the queen of scots seeing no prospect of relief lying justly under apprehensions for her life and believing that no deed which she executed during her captivity could be valid, was prevailed on, after a plentiful effusion of tears, to sign these three instruments, and she took not the trouble of inspecting any one of them. In consequence of this forced resignation, the young prince was proclaimed king by the name of James the Sixth. He was soon after crowned at Stirling, and the Earl of Morton took in his name the coronation oath, in which a promise to extirpate heresy was not forgotten. Some Republican pretensions in favor of the people's power were countenanced in this ceremony, and a coin was soon after struck, on which the famous saying of Trajan was inscribed, Pro me si mirare in me for me if i deserve it against me throgmorton had orders from his mistress not to assist at the coronation of the king of scots the council of regency had not long occasion to exercise their authority the earl of murray arrived from france and took possession of his high office he paid a visit to the captive queen and spoke to her in a manner which better suited her past conduct than her present condition. This harsh treatment quite extinguished in her breast any remains of affection towards him. Murray proceeded afterwards to break, in a more public manner, all terms of decency with her. He summoned a Parliament, and that Assembly, after voting that she was undoubtedly an accomplice in her husband's murder, condemned her to imprisonment, ratified her demission of the crown and acknowledged her son for king and murray for regent the regent a man of vigor and abilities employed himself successfully in reducing the kingdom he bribed sir james balfour to surrender the castle of edinburgh he constrained the garrison of dunbar to open their gates and he demolished that fortress But though everything thus bore a favorable aspect to the new government, and all men seemed to acquiesce in Murray's authority, a violent revolution, however necessary, can never be effected without great discontents, and it was not likely that, in a country where the government, in its most settled state, possessed a very disjointed authority, a new establishment should meet with no interruption or disturbance, few considerable men of the nation seemed willing to support mary so long as bothwell was present but the removal of that obnoxious nobleman had altered the sentiments of many the duke of chatelrault being disappointed of the regency bore no good will to murray and the same sentiments were embraced by all his numerous retainers several of the nobility finding that others had taken the lead among the associators formed a faction apart and opposed the prevailing power and besides their being moved by some remains of duty and affection towards mary the malcontent lords observing everything carried to extremity against her were naturally led to embrace her cause and shelter themselves under her authority all who retained any propensity to the catholic religion were induced to join this party and even the people in general though they had formerly either detested mary's crimes or blamed her imprudence were now inclined to compassionate her present situation and lamented that a person possessed of so many amiable accomplishments joined to such high dignity should be treated with such extreme severity animated by all these motives many of the principal nobility now adherents to the queen of scots met at hamilton and concerted measures for supporting the cause of that princess while these rumors were in fermentation mary was employed in contrivances for effecting her escape and she engaged by her charms and caresses a young gentleman george douglas brother to the laird of Lochleven, to assist her in that enterprise she even went so far as to give him hopes of espousing her after her marriage with bothwell should be dissolved on the plea of force and she proposed this expedient to the regent who rejected it douglas however persevered in his endeavours to free her from captivity and having all opportunities of access to the house he was at last successful in the undertaking he conveyed her in disguise into a small boat and himself rowed her ashore she hastened to hamilton and the news of her arrival in that place being immediately spread abroad many of the nobility flocked to her with their forces a bond of association for her defence was signed by the earls of argyle huntley eglinton crawford cassillis rothis montrose sunderland nine bishops and nine barons besides many of the most considerable gentry and in a few days an army to the number of six thousand men was assembled under her standard elizabeth was no sooner informed of mary's escape than she discovered her resolution of persevering in the same generous and friendly measures which she had so hitherto pursued if she had not employed force against the regent during the imprisonment of that princess she had been chiefly withheld by the fear of pushing him to greater extremities against her but she had proposed to the court of france an expedient which though less violent would have been no less effectual for her service she desired that france and england should by concert cut off all commerce with the scots till they should do justice to their injured sovereign She now dispatched Leighton into Scotland to offer both her good offices and the assistance of her forces to Mary, but as she apprehended the entrance of French troops into the kingdom, she desired that the controversy between the Queen of Scots and her subjects might by that princess be referred entirely to her arbitration, and that no foreign succors should be introduced into Scotland but Elizabeth had not leisure to exert fully her efforts in favour of Mary. The regent made haste to assemble forces, and notwithstanding that his army was inferior in number to that of the Queen of Scots, he took the field against her. A battle was fought at Langside near Glasgow, which was entirely decisive in favour of the regent, and though Murray, after his victory, stopped the bloodshed, yet was the action followed by a total dispersion of the queen's party. That unhappy princess fled southward from the field of battle with great precipitation, and came with a few attendants to the borders of England. She here deliberated concerning her next measures, which would probably prove so important to her future happiness or misery. She found it impossible to remain in her own kingdom, she had an aversion, in her present wretched condition, to return to France, where she had formerly appeared with so much splendor, and she was not, besides, provided with a vessel which could safely convey her thither. The late generous behavior of Elizabeth made her hope for protection and even assistance from that quarter, and as the present fears from her domestic enemies were the most urgent, She overlooked all other considerations and embraced the resolution of taking shelter in England. She embarked on board a fishing boat in Galloway and landed the same day at Workington in Cumberland, about forty miles from Carlisle, whence she immediately dispatched a messenger to London, notifying her arrival, desiring leave to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth and craving her protection, in consequence of former professions of friendship made to her by that princess. Elizabeth now found herself in a situation when it was become necessary to take some decisive resolution with regard to the treatment of the Queen of Scots, and as she had hitherto, contrary to the opinion of Cecil, attended more to the motives of generosity than of policy, she was engaged by that prudent minister to weigh anew all the considerations which occurred in this critical conjuncture. He represented that the party which had dethroned Mary, and had at present assumed the government of Scotland, were always attached to the English alliance, and were engaged by all the motives of religion and of interest, to persevere in their connection with Elizabeth. That though murray and his friends might complain of some unkind usage during their banishment in england they would easily forget these grounds of quarrel when they reflected that elizabeth was the only ally on whom they could safely rely and that their own queen by her attachment to the catholic faith and by her other connections excluded them entirely from the friendship of france and even from that of spain that mary on the other hand even before her violent breach with her protestant subjects was in secret entirely governed by the councils of the house of guise much more would she implicitly comply with their views when by her own ill conduct the power of that family and of the zealous catholics was become her sole resource and security that her pretensions to the english crown would render her a dangerous instrument in their hands and were she once able to suppress the protestants in her own kingdom she would unite the scottish and english catholics with those of all foreign states in a confederacy against the religion and government of england that it behooved elizabeth therefore to proceed with caution in the design of restoring her rival to the throne and to take care both that this enterprise if undertaken should be effected by english forces alone and that full securities should beforehand be provided for the reformers and the reformation in scotland that above all it was necessary to guard carefully the person of that princess lest finding this unexpected reserve in the english friendship she should suddenly take the resolution of flying into france and should attempt by foreign force to recover possession of her authority that her desperate fortunes and broken reputation fitted her for any attempt and her resentment when she should find herself thus deserted by the queen would concur with her ambition and her bigotry and render her an unrelenting as well as powerful enemy to the english government that if she were once abroad in the hands of enterprising Catholics, the attack on England would appear to her as easy as that on Scotland, and the only method she must imagine of recovering her native kingdom would be to acquire that crown to which she would deem herself equally entitled. That a neutrality in such interesting situations, though it might be pretended, could never, without the most extreme danger, be upheld by the Queen— and the detention of mary was equally requisite whether the power of england were to be employed in her favour or against her that nothing indeed was more becoming a great prince than generosity yet the suggestion of this noble principle could never without imprudence be consulted in such delicate circumstances as those in which the queen was at present placed where her own safety and the interests of her people were intimately concerned in every resolution which she embraced that though the example of successful rebellion especially in a neighboring country could nowise wise be agreeable to any sovereign yet mary's imprudence had been so great perhaps her crimes so enormous that the insurrection of subjects after such provocation could no longer be regarded as a precedent against other princes that it was first necessary for elizabeth to ascertain in a regular and satisfactory manner the extent of mary's guilt and thence to determine the degree of protection which she ought to afford her against her discontented subjects that as no glory could surpass that of defending oppressed innocents it was equally infamous to patronize vice and murder on the throne and the contagion of such dishonour would extend itself to all who countenanced or supported it and that if the crimes of the scottish princess should on inquiry, appear as great and certain as was affirmed and believed every measure against her which policy should dictate would thence be justified or if she could be found innocent every enterprise which friendship should inspire Would be acknowledged laudable and glorious agreeably to these views elizabeth resolved to proceed in a seemingly generous but really cautious manner with the queen of scots and she immediately sent orders to lady scrope sister to the duke of norfolk a lady who lived in the neighborhood to attend on that princess soon after she dispatched to her lord scrope himself warden of the marches and sir francis knolles vice-chamberlain they found mary already lodged in the castle of carlisle and after expressing the queen's sympathy with her in her late misfortunes they told her that her request of being allowed to visit their sovereign and of being admitted to her presence could not at present be complied with till she had cleared herself of her husband's murder of which she was so strongly accused elizabeth could not without dishonour show her any countenance or appear indifferent to the assassination of so near a kinsman so unexpected a check threw mary into tears and the necessity of her situation extorted from her a declaration that she would willingly justify herself to her sister from all imputations and would submit her cause to the arbitration of so good a friend two days after she sent lord harris to london with a letter to the same purpose this concession which mary could scarcely avoid without an acknowledgment of guilt was the point expected and desired by elizabeth she immediately despatched middlemore to the regent of scotland requiring him both to desist from the further prosecution of his queen's party and to send some persons to london to justify his conduct with regard to her. Murray might justly be startled at receiving a message so violent and imperious, but as his domestic enemies were numerous and powerful, and England was the sole ally which he could expect among foreign nations, he was resolved rather to digest the affront than provoke Elizabeth by a refusal he also considered that though that queen had hitherto appeared partial to mary many political motives evidently engaged her to support the king's cause in scotland and it was not to be doubted but so penetrating a princess would in the end discover this interest and would at least afford him a patient and equitable hearing he therefore replied that he would himself take a journey to england attended by other commissioners, and would willingly submit the determination of his cause to Elizabeth. Lord herries now perceived that his mistress had advanced too far in her concessions. He endeavoured to maintain that Mary could not, without diminution of her royal dignity, submit to a contest with her rebellious subjects before a foreign prince, and he required either present aid from England, or liberty for his queen to pass over into france being pressed however with the former agreement before the english council he again renewed his consent but in a few days he began anew to recoil and it was with some difficulty that he was brought to acquiesce in the first determination these fluctuations which were incessantly renewed showed his visible reluctance to the measures pursued by the court of england the queen of scots discovered no less aversion to the trial proposed and it required all the artifice and prudence of elizabeth to make her persevere in the agreement to which she had at first consented this latter princess still said to her that she desired not without mary's consent and approbation to enter into the question and pretended only as a friend to hear her justification that she was confident there would be found no difficulty in refuting all the calumnies of her enemies and even if her apology should fall short of full conviction elizabeth was determined to support her cause and procure her some reasonable terms of accommodation and that it was never meant that she should be cited to a trial on the accusation of her religious subjects, but on the contrary that they should be summoned to appear, and to justify themselves for their conduct towards her. Allured by these plausible professions, the Queen of Scots agreed to vindicate herself by her own commissioners, before commissioners appointed by Elizabeth. During these transactions, Lord Scrope and Sir Francis Knowles, who resided with Mary at Carlisle, had leisure to study her character and to make report of it to elizabeth unbroken by her misfortunes resolute in her purpose active in her enterprises she aspired to nothing but victory and was determined to endure any extremity to undergo any difficulty and to try every fortune rather than abandon her cause or yield the superiority to her enemies eloquent insinuating affable she had already convinced all those who approached her of the innocence of her past conduct and as she declared her fixed purpose to require aid of her friends all over europe and even to have recourse to infidels and barbarians rather than fail of vengeance against her persecutors it was easy to foresee the danger to which her charms her spirit her address, if allowed to operate with their full force would expose them the court of england therefore who under pretence of guarding her had already in effect detained her prisoner were determined to watch her with still greater vigilance as carlisle by its situation on the borders afforded her great opportunities of contriving her escape they removed her to bolton a seat of Lord Scropes in Yorkshire, and the issue of the controversy between her and the Scottish nation was regarded as a subject more momentous to Elizabeth's security and interests than it had hitherto been apprehended. The commissioners appointed by the English court for the examination of this great cause were the Duke of Norfolk, the Earl of Sussex, and Sir Ralph Sadler, and york was named as the place of conference leslie bishop of ross the lord herries levingstone and boyd with three persons more appeared as commissioners from the queen of scots the earl of murray regent the earl of morton the bishop of orkney lord lindsay and the abbot of Dunfermline were appointed commissioners from the king and kingdom of scotland secretary liddington george buchanan the famous poet and historian with some others were named as their assistants it was a great circumstance in elizabeth's glory that she was thus chosen umpire between the factions of a neighbouring kingdom which had during many centuries entertained the most violent jealousy and animosity against england and her felicity was equally rare in having the fortunes and fame of so dangerous a rival who had long given her the greatest inquietude now entirely at her disposal some circumstances of her late conduct had discovered a bias towards the side of mary her prevailing interests led her to favour the enemies of that princess the professions of impartiality which she had made were open and frequent and she had so far succeeded that each side accused her commissioners of partiality towards their adversaries. She herself appears, by the instructions given them, to have fixed no plan for the decision, but she knew that the advantages which she should reap must be great, whatever issue the cause might take. If Mary's crimes could be ascertained by undoubted proof— She could forever blast the reputation of that princess, and might justifiably detain her forever a prisoner in England. If the evidence fell short of conviction, it was intended to restore her to the throne, but with such strict limitations as would leave Elizabeth perpetual arbiter of all differences between the parties in Scotland, and render her in effect absolute mistress of the kingdom. End of section 12, chapter 39, part 6.